Elliot David, what's going on? Thank you for joining on this episode of the Bitcoin Source. Can you give the audience a brief introduction of who you are? Sure. Uh, and I'll say, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Dadu. Uh, really a pleasure being here. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm Elliot David, uh, born and raised in New York. Um, you know, after high school, I went to the military, uh, a little bit about my sort of trajectory. Uh, but when I came back to the U.S., I came back to New York. Um, I was originally studying astrophysics and cosmology. So you might be asking, what the hell is a sort of astrophysicist doing in uh, in the Bitcoin space? Um, but uh, yeah, I was studying astrophysics, uh, cosmology for a bit, and then uh, recognized the urgency of climate change, um, how it intersected with a lot of these other problems that I, wa I wanted to solve. Uh, so I, I pivoted, you know, I'm still very interested in all things space, but started doing a lot of work uh, in energy, sustainability, climate, uh, bounced around between the nonprofit, public, private sector. Uh, so, you know, did a, did some time at some nonprofit organizations, worked at the U.S. Department of Energy briefly. Um, this was during the Trump administration under Rick Perry's tenure. Uh, and then I went to go work for, uh, for the Clinton Foundation. So, and as you know, one of the probably one of the youngest people, if not the youngest person to work for both the Trumps and the Clintons uh, in the energy space. Um, and then after that, I moved to China. I was a Schwarzman Scholar at Tsinghua University. Uh, while I was there, I did clean energy transition research with David Sandelow, who is, you know, former Clinton, Obama, climate advisor, assistant secretary of energy, assistant secretary of state, sort of a, you know, world expert in the clean energy transition. Um, and then when I left China, I got really interested in, you know, what are some of the enabling technologies for the clean energy transition? Uh, you know, because we have the money, we have the tech, uh, we know it's an existential issue. How come we haven't gotten there yet? Um, and so I've had this kind of seasoned energy background for, you know, coming up on a decade. And then I was introduced to Bitcoin. Uh, so while a lot of people come into the Bitcoin space, either from a financial perspective, financial inclusion, um, you know, sort of freedom, liberty, you know, political philosophy, uh, I was just an energy guy. And I first saw Bitcoin as this really novel uh, sort of physical and digital infrastructure that could enable the clean energy transition, improve the grid when it comes to resilience, uh, be good for energy justice. Um, and that's when I was brought onto the Sustainable Bitcoin Protocol. Uh, it's been a very exciting year or so uh, working with the team. Um, but yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Great, great. Um... I did see that you mentioned that you worked for Clinton and the Trump administration. So my question that I want to pose to you is how has the current administration um, been helpful or hurtful in the client literacy uh, connection with Bitcoin? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure your listeners are already familiar with uh, sort of the Bitcoin and the narrative around Bitcoin as being this, you know, dirty asset class. Some people go so far as to say that it's boiling the oceans. It's going to, alone, you know, blow past the two degree, uh, carbon budget. Um, and I look at that from a couple of different perspectives. Uh, the one you just mentioned, right. Political perspective. I think that, uh, while climate shouldn't be a partisan issue, most things end up becoming very partisan. Uh, and you know, wherever we can, we should take partisanship out of issues. And there's a very interesting sort of overlap in both progressive and conservative ideology when it comes to, uh, when it comes to Bitcoin. Um, but I would say historically Democrats, progressives have had, they've, they've tended to have a better track record when it comes to climate. Um, I don't think this is necessarily because our inherent values are different. 
rather, you know, thinking about climate change and addressing environmental challenges means you apply a different set of assumptions to economics. That's, that's really all it is. Um, you know, who, who doesn't care about a healthy environment or, you know, clean air, clean water, uh, which is how, you know, conservatives, uh, or Republicans tend to sort of frame the issue as like, yeah, sure. We want clean air, clean water. How do we, how do we do that? Um, and so when it comes to economics and I'm now I'm an economist by training, um, you know, you have to think, you have to assume different starting points for how you think about problems. Uh, in, in sort of interventionist policy, you think that the government has a role in deciding what's valuable, what's not valuable, as opposed to a hyper-liberalized market where sort of let things, let markets do as they may. Um, and inherently, I think that government or sort of central authorities are going to have to play some role when it comes to fighting climate change. Um, to get to your question about, about the current administration, uh, you know, I would say that so far, they have a pretty solid track record uh, when it comes to addressing climate. Um, I would consider myself pretty activist, so I, I think they could be doing a lot more. Um, and I can get into a whole host of, you know, why I think Bitcoin should also be a part of this climate strategy for the administration. Um, but I think one of the things that I really do like is that uh, the Biden administration or you know, federal policymakers writ large um, is that they, they're starting to recognize they don't have enough information on Bitcoin in order to regulate it. Um, and so, you know, Biden and the OSTP, that's the Office of Science and Technology Policy, they had that uh, request for information. They're trying to sort of gather, you know, gather as many expert opinions on the topic as possible. Um, you know, we've worked with a bunch of really great organizations to provide some of those comments to, to the administration. Um, you know, I, I think they want this to be a climate science-led initiative uh, instead of, I would say, you know, some New Yorkers, or I should say some New York policymakers have this kind of ban first, ask questions later policy. Um, I would say that on a federal level, they are seriously thinking about this. They also know that um, you can't stop Bitcoin, right? So in the case of New York or China or North Korea or whoever, um, if you end up banning this practice or putting some sort of definitive limitation to it, um, you know, it'll probably move elsewhere. And the U.S. definitely doesn't want to do that. Uh, so at this point, I, I am pretty confident that when their report comes out in August, uh, that it'll be pretty positive. I would say that the executive order Biden put out previously was already pretty good. Um, but again, we'll see. Like, I've, I've been surprised. Uh, I've been wrong before. Um, but I do think that the current administration is asking the right questions. Um, of course, a lot of education needs to go into this Um but yeah, I, I would say I'm pretty bullish on the administration's approach to climate policy. And, as uh, you know, I just want to kind of backtrack a little bit and actually talk about the company that you're involved in, which is Sustainable Bitcoin Protocol. Like I found the company very profound, so profound that I actually wrote a piece about the company and what you guys are doing for ESG mandates and how you're trying to make Bitcoin mining more sustainable. So like if you could just give people a quick, concise background on um, Sustainable Bitcoin Protocol. I think that'd be really helpful for people to know about that company. And we haven't been around for too long. You know, we've only been around for a year or so, uh, which I guess in Bitcoin, Bitcoin land is a pretty, pretty long time. Um, we, we have this deep background in sustainability and energy. 
uh, Max and Brad, Max Song and Brad Van Voorhees, the, the two co-founders, um, before they brought me on, this is sort of their early thought process, but they were, they were looking into you know, different strategies for decarbonizing Bitcoin as an asset class. And they were working with folks like Jihan Wu, who's sort of, you know, an OG in the space. Um, and thinking about how do you enable institutional adoption, which is still very slow. If you think about the number of sort of institutional investors and asset managers that have adopted Bitcoin or are diving into the space, I think we're just sort of getting into that wave um, now. And this was before Elon tweeted and, you know, sent the world into chaos about, uh, you know, Tesla and ESG. Um, but they were thinking about how do you enable behavioral change across the network, right? And something like a consumer good. So like I have a, a mug of tea. If I wanted to, I could have some sort of cert certification to say that this mug of tea is sustainable, it's eco-friendly, it's recycled, you know, what have you. But for something like money that has to be fully fungible, that any two uh, assets, like a dollar bill, they have to be exactly worth one another. Um, they have to be equal to each other. You can't compromise the central tenet of fungibility. Uh, and you could think about dollars, right? Like I, I carry cash in my wallet for all I know that money was used to finance, you know, the sale of, uh, legal weapons or, you know, drugs or whatever. Um, you know, like I, I don't know what my money was used for. And I think that's also really important uh, for Bitcoin, right? You need, you need that fungibility asset, uh, quality to it. So some of these folks like, you know, Kevin O'Leary has suggested, what if you buy Bitcoin from a carbon neutral or a sustainable source, and then just hold it in your wallet forever in effect, that would make it sustainable. But at the end of the day, that in a way disrupts the fungibility because now I'm designating this Bitcoin as always going to be held in my wallet. So early on, Brad and Max were thinking, you know, how can we how can we address the sustainability issue of Bitcoin without compromising fungibility and looking at other sort of uh, similar problem sets, they looked at power markets. So when you look at the grid, um, electricity like Bitcoin is also fully fungible. The electrons that are powering our computers right now, you know, they might've come from a gas plant. They might've come from solar. You know, we, it's impossible for us to tell. And so the powers that be developed what's called an attribution market for electricity. So I can buy electricity and then I can also buy the sustainability of that electricity or the environmental attributes and make a claim. Uh, so you might've heard of this concept called a REC. So I could be buying, you know, a, a company, let's say could be buying electricity and then they could also be buying RECs to, to basically address the sustainability of that electricity. Um, and so we developed an instrument called a sustainable Bitcoin certificate that has a similar function, but although improved, and I'm happy to go into why, but a similar function for Bitcoin. And essentially the way the protocol works is you have a clean energy miner. They go through a verification process to determine, you know, how sustainable are they really? Um, and also happy to dive into uh, what that looks like, because obviously sustainability means different things to different people. Uh, but let's say they're a solar powered miner. They're using, you know, green, green electrons and they are not currently being rewarded for that sustainable behavior. What they would do is they would join the protocol, go through the verification process, and then when they win a block, they would receive, they would be awarded a requisite number of SBCs. And what's unique about SBCs is that there will only ever be 21 million SBCs. Each one is divisible by 100 million. So similar, you know, a perfect pair with Bitcoin. We're actually calling our, our subunits uh, Kyoto's as sort of a 
an homage to uh, Satoshi and the Kyoto Protocol, which is you know the first major uh, carbon market sort of uh, international agreement. Um, essentially, what this does is it puts a premium on sustainable mining practices. So you know we're not punishing anybody, we're not uh, interfering with the market. We're basically awarding sustainable behavior. Right? We are we are giving credit where credit is due. You can often think about ESG and sustainability as are you getting what you're paying for, right? Um, so in ES, you know, for, for miners making a claim to sustainability, essentially we enable them to do that in a verifiable and very profound way. And the reason why this is valuable is because the world's largest institutional investors, asset managers, you know, the Fidelities, BlackRocks, Goldmans of the world, they need to comply with their own ESG mandates, but do it in a way that preserves fungibility um, in, a way, in a way that doesn't really cost them money, right? Or, I should say in a way that doesn't, it's not a cost center. So what they can do is then buy these SBCs from these Bitcoin miners, hold them on their balance, you know, along with their Bitcoin, and then have an assurance of sustainability. You can essentially, a, it's really the first on-chain representation of sustainable mining practices in the world. Um, and the reason why this is so important is because, again, it's a market-driven mechanism that just incentivizes, it rewards miners, and one of the reasons why this is separate from, let's say, a REC is because an SBC is also an appreciating asset. So rather than being a Bitcoin miner and trying to purchase a bunch of poor quality carbon credits to address your carbon footprint, you could instead be issued SBCs, sell those to an institutional investor, and you know obviously make money, uh, which I think in the current market is a pretty pretty good idea for some of these miners that want to diversify their uh, their 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 revenue streams. Um, and then if you're an ESG investor, instead of basically paying for carbon credits, something that's retired immediately, an SBC accrues value over time. It's rather than paying for sustainability, you're investing in sustainability. Um, and I think that's at our core of why our value proposition is so great. Um, and in addition to that, it actually encourages behavioral change across the network. So we often talk about how you know, Bitcoin miners are increasingly using clean power this is a way for them to do that in a verifiable way. And it basically maximizes that positive incentive. So to your earlier question about, you know, about the sort of uh, the framing of Bitcoin as a dirty asset or, you know, a lot of the misconceptions around it, this is a way not just to, you know, sort of tell the story and change the narrative around Bitcoin, but this is the way to actually do it. This is the way to actually make Bitcoin the world's most powerful positive, climate positive asset class in existence. I think a lot of people cast aspersions about Bitcoin, energy consumption, and then there's also, you know, the media, the news that kind of pushes this fear, this uncertainty, this doubt. And my question to you is, is like, and you kind of explained it very well, but I really want to know more about like partnerships and having like a stamp of approval. So like the SBCs and to my understanding seems like you're giving these institutions a stamp of approval that they have clean energy and it's backed by something like a token, which at first I was kind of sketched out about being a Bitcoiner. But once I saw that you have the same um, supply as Bitcoin, it does a lot of the same processes. I was like, oh, this is different. This is a company. I've never seen this before. And I think that is super, super interesting. So my question is, is like um, your partnership with CleanSpark, for example. How do you think partnerships like that will help change the narrative around um, FUD and energy consumption in conjunction with Bitcoin? Um, and I guess just first to address the first point about, um, you know, being Bitcoin first, right? Which is what we are. Like, you know, we're not, 
you know, we, we accept all the criticisms about having an alternative token and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, like, our success is tied to the Bitcoin network. At the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is maximize adoption and really unlock the full potential of Bitcoin. So we don't, that's why we also say we do not touch the Bitcoin network. We are not, you know, tracking Bitcoin or we're not, you know, we're not violating fungibility. We're not trying to sort of promote an altcoin or a shitcoin or whatever. Um, at the end of the day, the purpose of our protocol is to maximize adoption and to develop the Bitcoin network in a way that espouses, that I should say, disabuses the notion that Bitcoin is bad for the planet. When in fact, can alleviate energy poverty, accelerate clean energy transition, bridge the digital divide, and unlock financial inclusion for billions of people. Um, so that's really our, you know, if, if you're a miner and you, you know, care about sustainability, we're great for you. If you're a miner that just, you know, wants to be, uh, you know, you want to sort of improve your bottom line, we're also great for you. You know, we're not, we're not, um, we're not, uh, we're not, we're not choosy uh, in that sense. Uh, in terms of our partnerships, there's a couple of different stakeholders as part of this ecosystem that help us do what we do. Uh, first is the institutional investors and asset managers, which actually create the sort of market, um, whether you're an ETF or you're an exchange or whatever. Um, that's sort of the demand side of an SBC. Um, but then on the supply side, there's us. And there's a few other sort of stakeholders that I think are relevant to mention. One is this energy verification piece. So in existing, in existing markets, if you are consuming something like hydro or nuclear or even like waste methane gas right now, even though you might be doing something very sustainable, there's no market to, to price that or there are limited markets to price that. So what we're actually doing is developing a methodology uh, with some of these really phenomenal organizations, which I believe we'll be announcing soon, um, but including, you know, one of the world's leading nonprofits uh, that verifies clean energy claims for the likes of Google, Microsoft, Facebook, or I should say Meta. Um, and then another, uh, another organization that does hour-to-hour -hour tracking of carbon intensity on the grid. So we can have real-time emissions data uh, for these Bitcoin miners and then appropriately attribute their consumption. Um, so that's the verification piece. The miners themselves, such as CleanSpark, which, you know, really phenomenal, really phenomenal partner, um, and for your listeners who don't know, they're sort of a large NASDAQ-listed sustainable uh, mining, mining company. Um, and what's also interesting is they're really an energy, a clean energy company that does Bitcoin, which I think that's going to really help them. It's already helping them be very successful, especially in this bear market. Um, so groups like CleanSpark, and there's a couple of other mining partner announcements we'll, that we have in the pipeline, um, but it's a no-brainer for them. Right. If you're a miner that is, uh, you know, using fossil fuels or is sort of not working in line with the most sustainable practices, like we're happy to work with you, but we don't have as much of a benefit for you, right? Or I should say, at least we, we, you know, our sort of maximum value proposition, value add to your organization is not as significant as if you are a sustainable Bitcoin miner, right? That is con directly consuming clean power from the grid. Um, but it's been really phenomenal working with some of these miners that are obviously securing the network. Um, and they're very, you know, they're very uh, supportive of what we're doing. We've had a couple of events where we're working together. We have some in the pipeline as well. Um, and for them, it's like they want to also change the narrative on Bitcoin, right? I think at the end of the day, the ESG question or sustainability, some consider it, a, you know, a vector of attack 
on the network or on the asset class, I see it as an opportunity to prove to the world like what Bitcoin can really do. So if Bitcoin can unlock billions of dollars of new capital for clean energy development, then I think all the naysayers <laughs> will shut up pretty quickly. Um, so that's on the on the mining side. And then a third or fourth, I should say, a fourth uh, sort of stakeholder group that I didn't mention is the world's leading nonprofit organizations, climate science organizations, uh, NGOs, academic institutions that are working with us to develop these best sustainable practices. Because um, we also think at the end of the day, you know, we want to make sure that we're led by climate science, we're working with the experts. Um, and something novel that we're doing is actually saying to them, like, we want you to help govern this protocol. And there's a few organizations, again, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll announce them soon. Um, but there's a few organizations that are really leading climate nonprofits and academic institutions that are interested in this issue. Um, they recognize it's part of the public discourse now, and um, they're starting to see it as an opportunity uh, to promote energy justice, to advance the clean energy transition. And a lot of my work with the protocol has been work has been engaging with these various uh, environmental organizations and not just educating them on what Bitcoin is and what it can do, but also like how we could work together to achieve these climate goals. So in New York, for example, with the CLCPA, uh, it's the Climate Leadership Community Protection Act or something like that, which is basically the state's climate goals. You know, there's all this controversy around banning Bitcoin mining or proof of work mining or fossil intensive, you know, proof of work mining. But really, Bitcoin, I see, can be a way to unlock the vision of the CLCPA. It could be a way to actually accelerate decarbonization across the state and provide clean energy for a lot of these communities that have been historically impacted by fossil fuels. Um, and so that's why we're working with some of these really amazing nonprofit organizations, academic institutions. Um, so each of these stakeholders is important in what we do. Yes, most definitely. And, you know, I think that, like, sustainable, they're very intelligent with their business model because, like, for me, for example, I went on the website and I looked at, like, everything with the fine-tooth comb, and I'm like, okay, they have a problem that they're going to solve, and then they're going to provide a service for that problem. And I think that, you know, the miner for a Bitcoin protocol is, like, sitting on the honeypot, right? It's like, that's where the original Bitcoin is coming from, where it's being sourced from. And, you know, your company coming in and kind of, finding a way to modify that to to be in conjunction with mandates for environmental science, climate change, and you're giving an incentive for the investor that wants to invest into this company, into climate change, into Bitcoin. I just think it's a triple threat. And I think that this company is going to be very, very successful in the future. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing more from Sustainable. Yeah, you heard it here first. You heard it here first. Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to not just change the narrative, but we're actually going to change the world. There's a lot of... Um, you know, Bitcoin at the end of the day, and this is also maybe helpful to some of the folks listening that are, you know, new to the space, new to Bitcoin, is, you know, some people see it as like a cult. Some people see it as, you know, digital gold. Like at the end of the day, Bitcoin is code. Bitcoin is code and electricity, right? And when you put those two things together, it's a, it's a technology. So thinking about Bitcoin as a technology, as a neutral technology, by the way, you know, it doesn't have an agenda, you know, it doesn't have a marketing team, it doesn't have a PR team, it doesn't have a CEO. Like, at the end of the day, there's a digital and physical infrastructure, which is what we're addressing. And then there's this social infrastructure as well. You know, learning about Bitcoin, right, understanding why it exists. It's helpful to understand. Why did the financial crisis happen? 
um, you know, how does the grid operate? Like the more you see some of these problems that we face as a society, whether it be financial exclusion, energy poverty, or anything, like Bitcoin can solve all these things. We just have to sort of nudge it along. Um, and it's helpful to think about it as a neutral technology that really is in our hands. So whether we use it for good or for bad or whatever, like that's up to us. Um, and so really the, the way I see our work, and this is me speaking, not, you know, SPP, but I see our way, I, I see our work as being like, you know, paradigm shift. It's like that, that is really our, our sort of our agenda is like, how do we help to transition the physical and digital infra infrastructure and then thereby change the social infrastructure of this network? Because there's other, you know, there's a lot of debate today about, you know, toxic maximal maximalism or diversity in the space. Like these are all issues that, you know, it's on us. It's incumbent on us to fix because we're the people that cause these problems. Um, so yeah, at the end of the day, it's like problem solution. How do we put those two things together? That's that's the way I think about it. And I, we really, yes, and we of course really empty. appreciate you know your your positive review. Of course, you know, I, I've been in the Bitcoin space since 2017, so I've really been looking to see the changes and the growth and how there's new businesses popping up. And I also have a question, too, where, like, do you think that the Bitcoin mining companies will change their day-to-day -day operations to kind of fit into Sustainable's model? Because, you know, sometimes they can be finicky or they have their processes in place. So do you mm -hmm. think that Sustainable will make it easy for Bitcoin miners to kind of um, onboard what you guys have going on for your protocol? Sure. It's mixed because no two mining companies are the same, right? Uh, in terms of does the protocol create any kind of change with the companies themselves? Absolutely. Um, but I think for the better, right? For one, a lot of these companies that are currently making sustainability or environmental claims, whether it be through the Mining Council or through any other mechanism, they don't have a way to verify this. And... You know, really interesting. So, a really interesting uh, concept when it comes to the grid, electricity, environmental attribution, is that most people or most companies are Bitcoin mining first, and then they think about the energy side of things. Which I, I actually, I actually feel they should they should flip that around, right? If it's an electricity native asset, you need to be an electricity focused company that uses Bitcoin, right, or that produces or mines Bitcoin. Um, and so one of the really interesting trends is that now even the mining companies are starting to see, uh, how important it is to understand these attributions, especially as it relates to sustainability. So if you're a Bitcoin miner, let's say you're a Bitcoin miner, right? And you want to plug in some rigs at a solar facility or a wind plant that has tons of excess electricity that's otherwise going to be wasted. What many miners fail to understand is actually... There is the electricity that they're consuming. There's the power that they're buying, whether it be through a PPA or some other kind of mechanism. And then there's the actual environmental attribution that happens in a separate market. So unless you're owning, whether it be Rex, Geo, IREC, whatever it is, unless you're owning that attribution, you can't make a claim to the sustainability of that power. So you could talk to a miner and you'll say to them like, hey, I understand that you think you're consuming clean electricity, but technically you're not. And they say, what the heck do you mean? Like, I could see my, my rigs right here next to the solar plant. And you have to explain to them that the power, the power producer has actually sold 
and this isn't in all cases, this is in some cases, but they've actually sold the environmental attributes of that power elsewhere. And so sometimes what you'll need to do, to do is actually go back into the market, back into the rec market, purchase recs, and then retire them to get issued an SBC. Um, so to, to answer your original question about like what does it take for a miner or what does it look like for them to actually join, um, it, it depends. If you're a miner that's already using clean electricity, uh, that is already going, basically already consuming clean energy in a line with the most sustainable practices, the most sort of up-to-date uh, methodologies, it's easy. Like, we onboard you, you get issued SBCs, you're making more money. Like, it's, it's so simple. Um, if, let's say, you're a miner that's using a grid mix and, you know, you need to go through a verification process and it's a little more, you know, there's a little more footwork that needs to be done, that needs to get done, it's still very simple. It just means it's more work for me, <laughs> um, but we're happy to do it because at the end of the day, it's, it's really driving that behavioral change. One of the really interesting um, sort of like social, social changes happening uh, in the space as a result of the protocol is some of these mining companies we're working with, they're now saying to themselves, okay, we need to hire somebody focused on sustainability or we need to embed sustainability into our business practices. And what I think is so incredible, and this is going to be a total like, middle finger to you know the, the TradFi or these other industries, is like it's almost like a self-regulation, and they're, they're we're starting to build in sustainability into the core of all these different companies, um, and they're doing it because they know at the end of the day it's going to be best for them. It's going to be best for their bottom line. So whether you're a waste ga a methane gas miner that is now thinking about how do I make sure I'm not encouraging further fossil fuel development, or if I'm a miner that's using mostly nuclear or solar, and I want to make sure that I'm actually, you know, I'm getting verified claims of clean energy the same way that, you know, the likes of Google and Microsoft are doing. Like, this is a real, again, like paradigm shift, paradigm shift, paradigm shift. That's what we're doing. Um, so for the miners, it's it's a no-brainer, and and yeah, I would say that's kind of how we interface with them, and that's, that's the uh, reaction that we're seeing from them. So sometimes you have to go through a little bit of... Uh, I would say like uh, a learning a learning process, um, and then of course verification. But for the most part, it's pretty simple. And we're also about to go through our first pilot transaction, uh, which will be the first time this has ever been done in history, uh, which we're pretty excited about. You you heard it here first, um, and yeah, it'll be a great great I think day in sort of the Bitcoin environmental movement. I agree, and you know. Bitcoin is, you know, a digital monetary network ruled by and run by electricity, like you said. And I think that, you know, you're not pontificating when you say this is going to really change the world and change things for people across the planet, which leads me to my next question, which is energy justice, right? Where do you foresee the Bitcoin climate change moving, movement going uh, and getting disenfranchised and underserved communities to better understand energy justice and not only better understand it, but use it to their benefit to help out um, the neighborhoods and communities most affected by it. And I love this question because this is really where I eat. This is, this is my interest in the Bitcoin space. This is really what sort of brought me into the company and into the movement. Um, energy poverty or energy justice is, in my opinion, the golden thread that connects everything. Uh, so in the sustainability space, we often think about, you know, the UN SDGs, the sort of myriad of dimensional problems that plague humanity and having clean, reliable access to electricity 
can solve so many of them. Everything from like alleviating, you know, education disparities to gender-based violence to water quality to transportation, everything, right? Um, and the way I think about this energy justice question is in a few different sections. I think about it, one, in the United States, and I also think about it, you know, more broadly across the world. Um, and I guess I'll talk a little bit about in the United States first and then go into sort of the macro conversation. Um, but in the United States, what many people, at least in sort of coming from a more privileged background, fail to understand is that there are people in the United States who don't have access to electricity. We do not have 100% electrification. Beyond that, the number of people who want access to clean electricity that's not polluting their air and water that don't have it is, it's like abysmal. We're, we're not exactly leading on this area. Um, and so, again, in the context of this question about like, what can Bitcoin do? Um, a lot of the reason why these communities don't have access to clean electricity, because we, again, we have the tech, uh, we rough, we probably have the supply. Um, but if you're a black or brown community in, I don't know, in the Southeast or in the Northeast, and you want access to clean electricity, but you've been historically plagued by a gas plant or a coal plant that's polluting your air and water, one of the reasons why that plant, or the main reason why that plant hasn't been replaced is economics, right? We The environmental health and safety of people is not often priced into grid decisions. Um, so just to take one example, let's say you're a community that's being impacted by a gas plant, or I actually have a great example. How about you're the Navajo Nation in New Mexico, and you know, you've been besaddled with all this fossil infrastructure that the U.S. federal government essentially forced you to use, but no you know, clean energy company, no solar or wind company is going to come in and help replace that because of this curtailment issue, right? It's not economically feasible. An energy developer is going to want to get as much money out of a, as much of a return on investment in a project as possible. And the way you really do that is to have constant sale of electricity, right? Your listeners probably know that solar, wind, hydro to a certain extent are intermittent and they don't, they're not baseload power. Um, so what do you do at the peak times when demand can't meet supply, right? Um, and actually one comp there's one company called Luxfolio that, uh, I think acquired West Block, and they actually worked with the Navajo Nation to help them transition uh, to cleaner energy sources. And they're sort of a, a partner of ours. But they're not only helping the Navajo with their financial independence and you know digital inclusion, but also helping them transition to cleaner energy sources, which is going to have compound effects on their health and their air, their water. You know, it's going to sort of drive, drive uh, systems change across, across the community. Um, and that's a story that we can replicate across the country. There are a lot of communities that want access to clean electricity, but simply because of the grid, because of economics, they're not able to access it. Um, which brings me to the protocol. And you might be asking, you might have sort of, your listeners might be asking themselves, hold on, what about the 19 million Bitcoin that have been historically mined? How are we going to look at that? Plus, how do we think about a Bitcoin that was mined in 2009 with, you know, my cell phone using a kilowatt of electricity versus a Bitcoin that's mined today in 2022 with 365 megawatt hours? So a factor of thousands more. How do you equate the two? And the reason why we want Bitcoin to be a climate positive asset and the way we're able to do this 
is for the historically mined Bitcoin. We're using today's present, you know, the present consumption of the network as a benchmark for going back into the market and buying RECs. High quality, surgical, targeted RECs, where we can basically say, hey, these are the areas of the country. These are the areas that need the most investment in clean energy development. So to get issued, sort of to get issued for SBCs post facto, you would go into the market, buy these surgical RECs, and obviously all of this will be transparently displayed on our platform. You can see, you know, how big of an impact we've had in Montana or West Virginia or Alabama or wherever, um, how we're supporting clean energy development in underserved communities. Um, and you could drive that investment while issuing SBCs. Um, and wh what I, why I think that's so important is because the success and growth of the network is tied to its sustainability, which is then also tied to this new investment in clean energy development. And just, you know, it's rough numbers, in our first year, we could easily deploy you know, more than $25 million of new capital towards clean energy development through our protocol. Um, and then over the course of several years, this could reach billions. We could, we could enable through Bitcoin, take that traditional finance, but we can enable billions of dollars of new climate finance going into clean energy development for the communities that need it most. So that's energy justice in the context of the U.S., and while we're focusing mostly on the U.S. for now, there's this other piece across the world, right? And uh, just, to, just for context, I was recently in Rwanda where I met with a lot of uh, leaders from across the continent, um, you know, talking about digital assets, talking about Bitcoin and clean energy. And one of the things I think the Bitcoin community really needs to start paying attention to is is how do we actually make it accessible to everybody? Like Bitcoin is in theory supposed to be a financial inclusion technology. It's supposed to be open and available to everybody. But there are 3 billion people on planet Earth today who do not have access to the internet. There are billions of people who don't have clean, clean and reliable ac access to electricity. So how can you purport to be an open and accessible technology if almost half the planet can't, can't use it? And to, to their credit, I think the Bitcoin community, and there's a lot of really amazing folks, you know, like Alex Gladstein and some of these other, other people that are, you know, really trying to, uh, and there's, there's a, a person in South Africa, I think, like there's all these really incredible people and initiatives that are trying to educate and make Bitcoin accessible. But at the end of the day, if you don't have this physical and digital infrastructure, what, like, it, 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 it's not going to be helpful to you. I was speaking with one of the ministers from the Central African Republic, and he told me, that one, only one out of 10 Central Africans has access to electricity and the internet. And of course, as you know, the, the, you know, the re they recently uh, decided to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. Um, so why would they, why would they you know, make this decision knowing that only one in 10 people can, can access this technology? And he said to me, because he knows that if the success of the Bitcoin experiment is tied to their success, that it's going to enable investment. It's going to incentivize, you know, digital inclusion, financial inclusion. And just thinking about this for your viewers, but the global South, right? You know, the South and Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, South and Southeast Asia. Um, these are the areas of the world with the highest renewables potential, lowest renewables penetration, with the exception of Latin and South America, the lowest rates of digital inclusion, and the lowest rates of financial inclusion. Bitcoin can solve all this. So 
you know, I was, I was speaking with some of these ministers from across the, from across the continent, whether they be from, you know, Kenya, Nigeria, and they think it's incredible. They can use Bitcoin mining as a way to incentivize further deployment of clean energy, energy, which by the way, all the materials are, you know, for clean energy, uh, for clean, physical clean energy goods are all, they all come from the African continent, right? These are all critical min minerals that are basically mined, brought elsewhere. And then we in the U S get to benefit from it. But this is a way for them to also like decolonize the clean energy transition. It's a way for them to decolonize their money um, and address these, these multidimensional problems of energy poverty, digital inclusion, financial inclusion. Um, and so while, again, SBP is focusing on the North American market, I think the long-term future of, of Bitcoin looks like this. It's a, it's a future where we've alleviated energy poverty, um, digital exclusion, we've promoted financial inclusion for all. Um, and it's just really exciting to have those kinds of conversations. So that's, that's what I think about in the context of energy justice. That might've been a long answer to your question. No, you know, I think it's, I think it's like, honestly, I've been saying this since I wrote the piece about this company, I was like, I've seen a lot of energy plays. I've seen a lot of people talking about it, but like, I'm really excited for this company because it's just doing things so differently. And like the way that you're elucidating on how this protocol is going to change the world, me being first generation, my parents being from Africa, that means a lot to me too, to hear these things because, you know, that's the future. That's where all the potential is. That's where all the natural resources are. I mean, you talk about like Tesla or the Apple company, you know, mining coltan from, from Africa. When you talk about these things and you think about Bitcoin and how Bitcoin can actually fix a lot of those issues where we have this mass consumption for technology, this mass consumption for power in, you know, first world countries, we don't really think about people in the diaspora. We don't think about people in third world countries. So I'm really excited and grateful to hear that sustainable is their long-term view, hopefully, you know, in conjunction with Bitcoin will be getting into these areas, teaching them how to mine clean, efficient energy, and also how to learn about Bitcoin to have as a form of sovereignty and financial enrichment. So I really appreciate it. And, and again, like SBP, we have a pretty specific mandate for now. We're a relatively early company. Um, but I think adoption, right? Global adoption is, is in everybody's best interest. And another really interesting theme that I witnessed while I was, uh, while I was in Africa, while I was in Rwanda and sort of speaking with all these different leaders is that most of these countries officially have banned cryptocurrency, banned Bitcoin, right? Even, even hubs were of, of innovation like Nigeria, where like basically everybody is learning about Bitcoin using, like everybody is really deep in the space. Officially it's banned. And so I always, I always started these conversations, you know, I was talking with, um, with, uh, with somebody from, from South Sudan, well, like one of the ministers. And I was like, well, you know, why are, why is this technology banned across all these different countries? And he said, it's because we don't know what to do yet. So really it's a placeholder policy. And I think all of these countries are going to have like, it's going to, it's going to, it's not going to be like dominoes. It's going to be like a wall of bricks falling, falling down on the ecosystem. I think they're all going to start adopting. Uh, they're all going to start adopting Bitcoin really quickly. Like they're all investing in their web three workforces. Uh, governments are like governments that have banned Bitcoin are often offering uh, blockchain engineering training to their citizens. Um, I'm probably going to head back to Rwanda at some point this year and, uh, meet with the, with the youth minister about, 
about um, like workforce development and how do they build out their ecosystem. Um, South Africa, I was talking to one of their major telecom companies and they have a ton of clean energy capacity and they have constant blackouts. Like their grid is a total mess. So again, like I don't, I'm not one of those people that thinks that Bitcoin is going to, you know, save, like solve everything. It's a perfect, you know, perfect technology. It, it fixes everything. I think it can do a lot of these things, but it really depends on how we as humans that are the architects of this technology, including Satoshi, who was probably a human, um, like it's really going to depend on how we leverage it. Um, and you could think about it like nuclear, like nuclear energy can be used for immense good. It can be used for immense bad. Um, but so I'm really, I'm really excited. And again, this is sort of my call to action for everybody in the audience is like, what, what future do you, do you want? And how can you use existing systems and or new systems to, to get there? Yes, most definitely. And on that note, Elliot, um, you know, tell everybody, tell the audience what's the best way for people to get in contact with you and also like what you have planned for sustainable. Sure. Um, yeah, so, you know, we have a big stakeholder ecosystem. So if you're a Bitcoin miner, if you're a, an investor, whether you want to invest in SPP or you want to, you know, purchase S, uh, SBCs for your ETF or your fund or whatever. Uh, if you're a Bitcoin miner that just wants to add to your bottom line, um, reach out to us. I would say, you know, we have our website, which will probably be updated soon. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I think especially if you are somebody who cares about climate sustainability or interested in clean energy, sort of the clean energy transition, especially if you have thoughts, right? Like at the end of the day, we want to build this thing where it's not, we decide what's best and then everybody else has to listen and do it. Like we really truly want this to be grassroots and you know emanate from, from science. So if you're a climate scientist or somebody with expertise in environmentalism or clean energy, you know, definitely reach out to me. Um, you could find my LinkedIn or my email in the, in the, in the comments below. Not sure how that works. Um, but just reach out to our team. You know, we, we are open to everybody. We're also very welcome of criticisms. So if you think we should be doing something differently or we're doing something wrong, um, I think the only way to maximize part of the language, but maximize the, uh, the potential of Bitcoin is to welcome and encourage criticism. Uh, I think, you know, sort of the more, the more we ask these critical questions, the stronger the network and the community will be. Um, whether they be environmental, social, or from a governance perspective. Um, but yeah, if you want to learn more, uh, maybe give us a follow on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, and if you're interested in, you know, if you had specific questions or if you wanted to connect with us, just reach out to me. I'm open to everybody. Um, yeah, and I hope to hear from you. Once again, you know, I have very, very high hopes for this company. Um, thank you, Elliot, for taking your time out to talk on the Bitcoin source. Have a good one. All right. Thank you.